Welcome to this week's Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Lenora Walters and joining me today are Kate Bailey and Emma Adjimung, Deputy Personal Finance Editor and Personal Finance Writer at Investors Chronicle and James Carfew, Head of Research at Quoted Data. Investment trusts have more complicated structures than open-ended funds, so you need to be well informed about how they work and do even more due diligence before investing in one than with an open-ended fund. So this week, Investors Chronicle is running an investment trust special issue to help you pick the right investment trusts and use them in the right way. So hopefully you too can reap the considerable rewards these types of funds can offer. James, an important figure relating to investment trusts is their discount or premium to net asset value or NAV for short. Can you explain what this is and why investors should take it into consideration when deciding whether or not to put their money into an investment trust? Sure, thank you. Um, uh, Basically, the net asset value is just the value of all of the stocks and shares, whatever it is invested in, in the investment company. Um, and then the share price uh, depends on the demand or supply of the shares, so how popular they are. And the difference between the two, between the share price and the asset value, is the discount or the premium. So sometimes um, somebody will turn you on a discount, and you can basically buy all of the assets at a cheaper price than you would be able to if you went and bought them separately. Okay, I mean, that sounds rather good, doesn't it? Like a, a bit of a bargain, but is a discount, um, let's say, is what looks like a bargain always a good reason to buy an investment trust? You have to be careful. I mean, the, the difference is that there are lots of different types of investment companies and some of them is quite hard to value their assets. So it means that the um, discount, the, the NAV might be quite old um, and therefore you're not actually using up-to-date information. So it's one thing you have to look out for. Um, and but really all it is is about popularity so um, if there's a big discount there there'll be, need to be a reason for that there'll be a reason why people are shying away from the fund and it might be because it's quite complicated and people don't really understand it or it might be because the manager's not performing very well sometimes there's a structural problem with the trust so it just might be something that the people just don't like the corporate governance of it they don't like the directors that sort of thing so it's, you always have to do a bit of digging a bit of investigation before you decide you're actually comfortable in doing that so um it looks like a bargain but definitely sort of use a bit of a sniff test with it okay because sometimes things are cheap for a good reason exactly now on the flip side you get investment trusts trading at a premium to their nest assets aka you're paying more than the assets are worth. Now, that seems like a bit of a rip-off on the surface of things. So should you always avoid an investment trust if it's trading at a premium? Um, again, it's, it's, it's sort of um, horse of course's thing. There's, there's, um, some, there are some funds where they have um, investments that aren't valued on a regular basis, which I've said already. Um, that includes things like stakes in the management company, so a very good example of a fund that's training on a big premium would be the Linzel Train Investment Trust. And the reason is for that is presumably the investors are putting a much bigger value on the underlying asset management company than the uh, manager is itself. And you it's swings all around about who's right. And there's similar sort of thing you get with um, infrastructure funds where the manager's calculating NAV based on the cash flows of the company um, but investors seem to be prepared to pay a bit more than the than the assets are actually valued at, and that, that sort of driving down is is sort of the appetite for risk. So basically, the managers being a little bit more cautious than the investors are, 
uh, and it is it's all a debatable point so um i'd say sometimes it's a good idea but generally i'd be very cautious about buying something at a big premium because they do have a tendency uh things go in and out of fashion and all of a sudden you find something that's just trading back down to asset value again you've lost money okay now what sort of levels have investment trust discounts or premiums been at recently they've been on a narrowing trend generally uh we do a sort of um big overview of the, how, how the sector goes um, on a regular, on a quarterly basis. Um, if we looked at 2016, they, they did discounts did widen out a little bit on average, but they, they hit a sort of low around just after Brexit, after the referendum. Um, and then they were probably about, on average, about 12.5%. And then they've been narrowing steadily since then and narrowing all, the, all through it this year. By the end of September, which is the last time we actually measured it, um, they were about 6 so they've come in quite a long way. Okay, and um, do you think discounts will tighter further from here, or do you, can we expect them to widen out again? We are approaching levels that are um, around the sort of tightest that they've ever been. I think we, we've we've got down to low single digits before. We've never had a situation where the average fund's been changing at a premium. It just doesn't tend to happen that way. But we are in a bit of a funny market generally, so it's definitely hard to say. Um, mm. So I, I, I wouldn't want to call it either way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what, what, what's driving um, this sort of historic tightening? Um, funds have got much better about sorting their discounts out. And it's something that a lot of people have been pushing and pushing them to do. Um, so one way they can do that is to buy back shares that, that nobody wants to buy themselves. So um, that just con- reduces the supply of shares and that tightens the discount down. Um, and they've got much better at doing that. And some of them have absolute policies to maintain a discount around a kind of zero level. And um, that's not something that all trusts can do by any means. And it's not something you should be pushing for and for most funds because they, if it, it's very hard for them to turn their underlying investments into cash, then it's not something they can do quite easily. And it's one of the strengths of investment companies that they don't have to react to big cash flows in, in inflows and outflows. That's one of the reasons they perform better than open-ended funds. So you don't want to push for that. But generally, it's it's been a trend that the managers have got much better at, at addressing the discounts. And I don't think that's, that's something that's going to go away. So we are going to stay much tighter than we were maybe on average five years ago. OK. Now, investment trusts with good dividend streams and attractive yields often have a tighter discount or trade at a premium. And some investment trusts have been making efforts to improve their payouts to try and tighten their discounts or, or maybe get to a premium too. Um, how have they been doing this? Uh, one of the things that um, has become much easier for them uh, recently is to pay dividends out of capital. So what that means is instead of taking in dividends from their underlying investments and then paying that as an income, they are selling some of their investments to, to help fund the dividend to you. And that seems to work um if it's if it's done sort of quite modestly um people seem to get that that's that's not a bad idea and um it's helped bring discounts down and and help things move things onto premiums so we've seen that in sectors like private equity where uh one of the funds that we followed standard life private equity introduced a dividend and their discounts come rattling down from something close to 30 percent down to sort of about five today and that's only one element of the reason that that's happened, but but it definitely has been something that's encouraged that. I think there's a there's a bit sort of um, caution by some investors about this still, um, because you do have to think what will happen um, when markets are falling, and then, and your 
effectively selling the underlying investments to pay pay back pay the dividend in a, in a falling market and that sort of runs the risk of destroying a bit of the the value of your capital okay i mean that's not good i mean even if you're getting a fat dividend you don't want to have um capital losses so should you avoid investment trusts which pay income from capital i think you should um be careful just just to to watch how sustainable you you think that that dividend stream is and so if you've got something that's actually quite volatile um i'd I'd be a bit more wary of it um but if you're thinking about a sector something like private equity basically um there's the stables the the investments are quite sort of stable they then we have quite a big spread of investments and they're reinvested in real companies and doing doing sensible things and so that you know that's the sort of thing that, that should be sustainable over the longer term Okay, now we've been talking about some of these unique attributes um, of investment trusts. What are some of the other key things which differentiate investment trusts from open-ended funds? Uh, well, if we stick with it on the income theme for the moment, one of the great things that investment companies can do is that they can sort away some of their income um, into reserves in the good times and then use that to help um, pay dividends in the bad times. And that's quite a powerful thing. So actually, if you look at long-term records of um, dividends from investment companies versus um, open-ended funds like OICS and Unitrust, they've got a much better record of increasing their dividends every year. And there are, there are a whole swathe of funds that manage to do it for 30, 40 years. So that's that's really quite a, a cool thing. Um, there are other sorts of uh, wrinkles that they can use to help enhance the performance. And one of the big, most powerful things probably is being able to borrow money. Um, that creates a bit more risk, so it has to be done judiciously. But they generally, they don't tend to go mad. I mean, a normal kind of gearing level might be... Um, about 10%. So gearing is the, is the borrowings that they take out. So uh, £1 in every 10 they, they might borrow from the bank. They may be paying sort of like sometimes as low as 3 3 4% on it and they're investing in things that may be paying them a dividend of 4 or 5 plus the world capital growth they're going to get. So that helps performance. That, that's, that's, a, that's a good thing. There's one of I think one of the things that is often overlooked but actually is really helpful is that there's a board of directors and their job is to make sure the fund does really well. Um, and that, that doesn't exist on an open-ended fund. So they're, they're there acting for the shareholders, making sure that things are run properly, that the manager's doing their job properly, that the expenses aren't too high. All those sorts of things help help um, investment companies outperform. Okay. Now, um, you mentioned the ability to take on debt and how it can help. Um, I think, as we all know, borrowing is a risk we've seen it on a personal um and you know a larger level so for an investment trust when can having debt be a disadvantage if you got caught out the market suddenly fell um if you if you're geared into the downside yeah then it just magnifies your losses and that's that's a real risk um if we go back and think about maybe um 2007-8 when everything got a bit mad and, and things got a bit overvalued. Just a there bit. Were, exactly. <laughs> there, there were some funds that had borrowed money then. Um, and when everything fell, um, the the losses were magnified and the uh, banks that lend them money had put covenants on that. And they basically said, if you um, can't cover your interest or if your borrowings are too big relative to the assets we've got to cover them, then we want the money back now. 
and that that created real problems for some funds. Which will be some examples? Um, I mean, you'd probably the, the best examples are some of the ones that invested in European property, and they had very high levels of gearing then. Um, sometimes maybe as much as sort of three or four to one, mm. um, and they got badly caught out. Okay, thank you, James. Some really helpful explanations. Now, although discounts are relatively tighter, there's one investment trust sector that looks like it offers particular value. Kate, you've been looking at this. Which is it? Um, well, I've been looking at the uh, Asia-Pac um, ex-Japan sector. And Asian equities are looking really good value. They're trading, the trusts are trading on quite wide discounts to NAV. Um, and that's despite the fact they've performed really well in recent years. And they also look quite good value because the equities underlying these trusts, Asian equities, um, are looking cheaper than their long-term average and also much cheaper than global stocks, which um, we're hearing are pretty expensive at the moment. And also Asian stocks do have kind of further to grow, um, many people would argue. Uh, so there's kind of a, you know, you can see growth going forward there at good value. Okay. Now, you also said in the article that investment trusts are a particularly good way to access Asian equities. Why? Well, investment trusts are a good um, vehicle to access slightly less liquid stocks um, or smaller caps. And that's because the managers obviously don't need to sell the stocks that they hold in order to meet redemptions, as with an open-ended fund. And Asian equities do tend to be uh, slightly less liquid and slightly more volatile than other kinds of, uh, other kinds of equity. Okay, so they're volatile and less liquid, um, so there's some risks. Are there any other risks then that you need to consider with these uh, uh, assets? Well, China is a big risk when it comes to Asian equities. China is a huge chunk of um, both the MSCI Asia X Japan Index and the MSCI Asia Pac X Japan Index. Um, so if you know we do get any kind of uh, issue in China and we get market falls there, that contagion would spread um, around Asian equities um, and it's likely that these funds would suffer. There is also a risk in that this um, whole region has done very well, particularly in the past year, and that has been driven by um, the major Asia kind of tech stocks in particular. And so it's really been those big names driving the index, and now they count for a very big chunk of of it. So, in fact, what you've had and what you've seen is quite a lot of concentration in Asia, um, in the biggest kind of most important countries there, and some of these big stocks. So, you know, in a way that is kind of skewing the average, and you need to be aware that if any of those fall, um, again, you could you could see impacting funds. Okay, uh, some things to think about. What are the other main things that investors need to be aware of? The other thing to be aware of is that these trusts are slightly more expensive than other um, investment truck sectors, and they do have quite high um, performance fees in some cases, certainly more expensive in general than the open-ended funds that invest in Asia. So it is something to be aware of, but uh, partly justified, I guess, by the fact that these stocks are less liquid and um, you know, harder to research in many ways. Okay, now there's 15 Asia X Japan investment trusts, um, but these tend to follow one of two investment approaches. What are these? So the two main strategies um, are, or the two kind of the divide between the two strategies are the managers who deliberately allocate towards these very high growth companies, which tend to be more expensive and tend to be these kind of tech driven disruptive businesses. Um, so things like driverless cars, cloud computing, that kind of thing. 
Um, and there are also, on the other side, managers who buy cheap, kind of unloved value stocks uh, that the market might be underrating, or those more kind of defensive companies with very strong balance sheets and good cash flows. So I guess you could split it into kind of uh, tech bull tech bull managers and more cautious value managers. Okay, so what would be examples of trusts following these strategies? So a good uh, example of a growth-focused trust would be Pacific Horizon, um, and that's a Bailey Gifford fund. Bailey Gifford being one of these houses which is very keen to invest in these kind of exciting, disruptive businesses. Um, So that trust tends to invest in stocks with slightly higher PEs, um, and it would be kind of tech-focused things and things in the areas of internet commerce and cloud computing, some of those really big Asian um, e-commerce names, for example. And Fidelity Asian Values would be a good example of a more value-focused trust. You see much less of that trust invested in China, for example, much higher weighting to India. Um, and the manager there is really looking for stocks with a demonstrable um, kind of barrier to entry and very good uh, cash flow, balance sheets, all of that kind of thing. Um, so slightly more defensive in that sense. Okay, um, James, what do you think about Asian equities and the investment trusts which put their money into them? I think it's really quite an exciting part of the market, definitely, and, and it definitely is today. Um, we've been through a long period where China in particular, and as, um, as Kate said, China is a big chunk of the, the index. Um, China has been a, a bit slower than people wanted it to be um, and a bit disappointing, and that's dragged down returns across the whole of Asia because also a lot of those countries um, export and import to China as well, so it's, it's a big part of their trade. Um, and that's probably one of the reasons why it ended up with these, these um, equities being a bit cheaper than they are on the global average. Um, so that actually presents an opportunity for an investor because you're actually getting into something that's attractively valued. Um, and there are some very good managers here, definitely. And uh, the, the two funds that um, has been mentioned already, um, we, we, we really like Jürgen Marks and Brown, the manager of Pacific Horizon. Um, he takes um, a bit of a different view to, to most of the, the peer group. Um, and some of the stocks he's invested in really sound quite exciting. And I think it's one of the things that we overlook here uh, in the UK is that uh, we think of things like Amazon and Facebook and Google. But there are um, companies, equivalent companies in China, some of them are almost more successful. Um, you know, the sort of Tencent and Baidu's and JD.com and that sort of thing, Alibaba. So um, I, I do think that there's a point, an exciting part of the market. Um, and one of the things that the managers always push is their whole demographic change that, and economic change is taking place there. So uh, where we have sort of an aging population and we're sort of stagnating a bit, um, they've still got quite a dynamic growing population and a much, a really fast expanding middle class, that all of whom want a washing machine in a car and, you know, all the sorts of things that we have. Um, and that's driving huge consumer boom in those countries. And that will just carry on going and um, creates massive opportunities for, com- for companies in that region. OK, now you mentioned you like Pacific Horizon. So are you of the opinion that um, investment trusts for bullish view and tech stocks are better than the Asian trust taking more of a value-orientated approach? Uh, better is a very pejorative word. Um Actually, I really like both managers because Nitin Bajaj, who runs the Fertility Asian Values Fund, um, he's he's a quite a cautious investor um, and he, he does want to buy things at the right price. Um, and for him, the, the sort of uh, valuations that people are putting on the, the, these big tech companies are, are a bit um, 
over exciting you know he he won't doesn't want to chase those um and so he's been a bit more cautious but but still um one of the things that that i think is very important for the investment companies and that there is the ability to take a long-term view and with both managers they they can look at a stock and um they can look through the noise and try and find something that's able to grow over the course of the next um, three, five, ten years, without having to worry about buying or selling it, though they might do if they were running an open-ended fund. Um, and both of those managers take advantage of that. Okay. Now, there's obviously lots of potential, but Kate did say that Asian equities are volatile, risky, and the investment trusts um, that focus on them have relatively higher charges than open-ended funds. So are they worth it? Oh, yeah, I think they're worth it. I think so. Um, we've we've alluded a bit to the gearing. Not neither of those managers actually use a lot of gearing, so that, that but it is a, a factor in, in helping you outperform. Um, and generally, but I do think it's this this closing structure, the, the taking the long term view thing, that does tend to work over the long term. So if you look at the the long term returns of the investment companies against the the long term returns of the open end ones, they are better. And I guess that's particularly important in Asia. Thank you, James. Some really good suggestions. And you can read Kate's full report on Asian investment trusts in this week's magazine and the website. As part of our investment trust special issue, we've asked four fund of investment trust managers which trusts they think look interesting at the moment in different areas. Now, one of these areas was growth. So, Emma, what were some of the trusts they suggested? Well, one example is Henderson Opportunities Trust, which is run by James Henderson. And this fund aims to provide shareholders with higher than average capital growth over the medium to long term, predominantly from a portfolio of UK companies. Another example our professional um, pick suggested was Henderson Smaller Companies Investment Trust, which is run by Neil Herman. And this fund aims to maximise shareholder total returns by investing mainly in smaller companies in the UK. Now, why did they single out these particular trusts? Well, we were talking earlier about the benefit of investing in investment trusts when they're trading at a discount. And that's the case for both these trusts. They're quite cheap at the moment as they're both trading on high discounts to net asset value of around 13%. And this is despite having really good long-term performance. So, for example, Henson Opportunities share price delivered 127% over five years. And that's in comparison to the FTSE All Share, um, which made 63% over the same period. Meanwhile, Henson Smaller Companies made 150% in over five years compared to 120% by the FTSE Small Cap Index. So really good performance from both funds. Okay, now one thing these trusts have in common, other than being run by the same management company, is that they're both focused on UK smaller companies and are trading at what look like wide discounts to NAV. James, are other UK smaller companies investment trusts also trading at discounts to NAV? Yes, I think the average for the sector today is about 12 and a half, 13. Um, and it ranges from the probably the, the widest sort of normal fund would be the Montanaro fund, which I think is on about 19 discount, um, up to quite a, quite a recent new issue, which is the Downing Microcap fund. And I think that's trading on a premium. Mm-hmm. Um, it's relatively rare to see these, these funds trade on premiums, though. Um, and it sort of reflects what investors think. And we're going back to the calculation of asset values and things again. Um, if you had to turn the fund into cash in a hurry, because they're invested in small companies, it's much harder to sell the portfolio. 
Um, and that would might mean that you get actually less than the, than the NAV for it. And I think that there's that sort of risk is what people build in, and that's why they trade at slightly bigger discounts than average. Okay. So on the subject of whether they are a bargain or not, um, another issue is that they could be adversely impacted because invest in companies that typically have more of a domestic focus, which could suffer if there's an economic slowdown due to Brexit. So is that a concern when considering whether to invest in a smaller company's investment trust? If you talk to the managers, it's completely polarised. So you will talk to some managers who basically say that uh, Brexit isn't a problem, it's all going to be wonderful, um, and anyway, the companies that they've bought are going to be able to march through this and, and make a lot of money. Um, and I think that's definitely true in some cases, and this that's the beauty of stock picking. You, you don't buy a whole index. You, you, you buy the funds, that you buy the companies that you think are actually going to perform. Um, so, yeah, that's true. But then you talk to the other people and they're really quite depressed. So, <laughs> you know, take, 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 take your choice. Isn't it? Mm. OK, so anybody's guess, a bit like the government's approach to Brexit. Now, what examples of investment trusts um, that you like in um, sectors that you think offer value? There's, there's all sorts of things around now. Um, I, I tend not to we, – we try equated data not to make recommendations. We're not really supposed to do that. I mean, that's all going to change next year anyway. That's all by the by. Um, but we are looking at all sorts of different areas. One of the things that I've been looking at recently is infrastructure because since the Labour Party conference where they, they made noises about PFI and a lot of the infrastructure funds have come off. Um, and they're still not trading at discounts, but they are trading at much lower premiums than they were, particularly funds like um, Hickel and the John Lang Fund. They're, they're sort of down to around two or three premiums. And then maybe, if nothing happens, then they, they may be, that might be sort of um, attractive, all sorts of different bits and pieces, sort of run around the world. I, we like India. That seems to be an economy that um, showed a lot of promise and that's been disappointing recently. But it's disappointing because the the government's been doing things to sort of re-engineer the economy that have disrupted things a bit. Um, and so, the, for instance, they, they swapped all the notes in circulation um, to try and reduce corruption. And then they introduced kind of VAT. All these things have, have had an effect on the on the GDP growth and made people a bit wary of the country. But actually, we think the growth is actually going to be quite exciting there. And there are ways that you can play that. Um, there are big cap funds like the Aberdeen New India Fund, um, but there are also some small, some more dynamic small cap fund, which is the India Capital Growth. So that's, that's one of those, actually one of those we cover. We quite like that one. Um, if you talk to um, a lot of the managers and the boards and things, it seems as though um, Europe is actually doing an awful lot better than it, than it was. Um, we've had phenomenal performance from funds like TR European Growth over the past year but actually the, the managers there still think that can carry on going um, and Japan is the other one uh, it's been really interesting that um, we've just had the re-election of the, the government there Shinzo Abe got back in again on an increased majority and that seems to have gone down very well and the market's moved, moved ahead on the back of this but the, the, Japan's been one of those areas that's been quite difficult to achieve real economic growth for a long time but you've still been able to find companies, and this comes back to the stock picking thing, that, that are capable of growing, that are capable of selling things abroad and doing all that sort of stuff. So managers like the Betty Gifford Chinnipon Fund, actually one of the best performing funds, this, this, um, been, it's been Atlantis, Japan. Um, so there are, there are lots of um, 
interesting opportunities around there. Okay, thank you, James. Some more really good suggestions. And see this week's magazine and the website for a full list of professional investment trust picks. That's all we've got time for today, so it just remains to thank Kate Bailey and Emma Adjumang at Investors Chronicle and James Carfew, Head of Research at Quoted Data. But also see this week's Investment Trust Special Issue of Investors Chronicle, which has more on these topics and others, including a roundup of the key trends and events in the sector and the trusts professional investors think have potential. Thank you for listening and have a good weekend. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.